evidence and answers. None of us have totally the mind of Christ. We don't always think like Christians. We have ideas by which we make decisions, and we make and pass judgments which are not consistent with the mind of Christ. It is a lifelong struggle for us to conform our thinking to the thinking of Christ, to see our lives exactly as God sees it, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do I possess a Christian mind? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be teaching a message entitled, Developing the Christian Mind. With part one of this exciting study is our host, Pat Zucran. Father, thrill us with your word. Challenge us this week. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today about one of the most neglected areas of the Christian's life today, and that is the mind. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God entails your entire being, heart, emotion, soul, but also the mind. And yet, for many Christians, our faith is primarily an emotional faith based on experience and feeling and close relationships that we have. And we have neglected loving God with our minds. And the results have been devastating to the church and to Christians. Charles Malik, philosophy professor at Harvard and former Lebanese ambassador, states this. He says, I must be frank with you, the greatest danger confronting American evangelical Christianity is the danger of anti-intellectualism. The mind in its greatest and deepest reaches is not cared for enough. The result is that the arena of creative thinking is vacated and abdicated to the enemy. For the sake of greater effectiveness in witnessing to Jesus Christ himself, as well as for their own sakes, Evangelicals cannot afford to keep on living on the periphery of responsible intellectual existence. The results of neglecting our minds and the development of our minds has been absolutely devastating to the church and to Christians, and especially Christian students. Some of the recent surveys show some very disturbing statistics. Most of them show that eight out of 10 Christians who profess Christ in high school after four years of college walk away from their faith. Some, like the Southern Baptists, as high as 90%. All right, that's way too high. That means if you look around the room here today, after four years of college, about eight of you will be back in the church walking with Christ. Okay, the rest of you be lost at sea. That's pretty disturbing, isn't it? And if you look at the trends of what Christians believe, only 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. In other words, 90% of the Christians out there think just like the culture. Is there any reason why we are not penetrating and transforming our culture for Christ? Instead, the culture is transforming us. Only 2% of Christian young people have a biblical worldview. And even more disturbing, less than half of the Christian pastors out there in good Bible-believing churches even have a biblical worldview. Here's some other 
trends we find very disturbing. Two-thirds of Christian adults believe that truth is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. The very basis of what logic and our Christian faith is built on. Four out of five Christian young people believe that truth is relative. Only 30% of Christian adults believe there are such things as moral absolutes. Only 9% Christian young people believe that there are moral absolutes. So for this reason, it's important that Christians develop their minds and grow in their understanding of the Christian worldview. You see, Christianity, we have a big problem here in the West. We have what's called a schizophrenic Christianity. We think Christianity only applies to my spiritual walk with God. Okay? When it comes to my prayer life and worship and me going to heaven, that's where Christianity applies. But in all other arenas, it doesn't apply. When it comes to the sciences, when it comes to philosophy of education, when it comes to political science, when it comes to art, the Christian worldview doesn't apply at all. And so what ideas do we take in these arenas of medical ethics and political science? Well, we just take on the ideas of the culture. Is it any wonder why Christians, the vast majority, think just like the culture? Okay? We have not developed the mind and the understanding of the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is an all-embracing worldview. It covers all aspects of the culture and life. For this reason, it's so critical. Christians develop the mind, the understanding of the Christian worldview, of Bible, of theology, and an arena we call apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, knowing why you believe. Now this morning, I want to give you three reasons why Christians need an understanding of Christian worldview and apologetics. Three reasons why we need to know why we believe. Number one, Christians must know why they believe because your faith is going to be challenged okay, by the various worldviews and ideologies that are out there, especially uh, they're intensified on the college and university campus. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter tells us that our faith is constantly going to be questioned and scrutinized. And Christianity doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in isolation. We live out our faith in the context of a culture and its ideas. And many of the ideas of the culture conflict with our faith in Christ. Can our faith stand that challenge? The college and the university campus is a place where faith often faces its most serious challenges, morally, emotionally, and intellectually. But there will also be times in your life when situations come about that's going to cause you to question your faith. And it's at those times you'll discover the true metal of your faith. There have been times in my life where I have questioned my faith in Christ, questioned the character of God and several aspects of my life. And at those times, sometimes it was only knowing why I believe and that my faith in Christ is true that has really pulled me through. And you'll face those situations in the next coming years and throughout the rest of your life. And sometimes 
what's going to pull you through is knowing that your faith in Christ is indeed true and that it stands on solid ground. You see, an emotional faith is only going to take you so far. Sooner or later, you're going to face challenges. You're going to have to know whether my faith is really true and worth giving my life for. Nancy Piercy, a great Christian scholar, writes this. As Christian parents, teachers, and youth group leaders, we constantly see young people pulled down by the undertow of powerful cultural trends. If all we give them is a heart religion, it will not be strong enough to counter the lure of attractive but dangerous ideas. Young people also need a brain religion, training in worldview and apologetics to equip them to analyze and critique competing worldviews they will encounter when they leave home. If forewarned and forearmed, young people at least have a fighting chance when they find themselves a minority among their classmates and work colleagues. Training young people to develop a Christian mind is no longer an option. It is part of their necessary survival equipment. I grew up in a Japanese Buddhist home, and you know, eventually I began to ask the questions we all ask. How do I know this is true? And I began to study my Buddhist faith, and I realized it's an unlivable system. And I went to an Episcopal high school. It was a very liberal school. They taught us that the Bible was simply a bunch of fairy tales and mythologies. That's what the priests were teaching us. And so I simply became an atheist. Well, at 18, on the baseball team, I was the shortstop. My best friend was the third baseman. And he became a believer in Christ and kidnapped me one day and got me to church. And there for the first time, I heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that the God of the universe loved me and wanted to have a personal relationship with me, so much so that he came to earth, suffered on the cross, and died that I could have an everlasting relationship with him. Well, it was the most wonderful story I had ever heard. And in the pew, I prayed. I said, God of the Bible, if you're real, if this whole thing is real, I want to know you. Well, the next day, I went to the school priest, and I shared with him what I heard at church. And he just kind of chuckled, and he said, don't take it so serious. Any religion is fine. Whatever you want to believe is fine. As long as it makes you happy. If this Jesus makes you happy, no, fine. But uh, don't take it so serious. A lot of errors, a lot of mistakes in the Bible. So it's as good as any other religion. And I was shocked. Here's a guy who had studied it all his life, and it seemed like he didn't believe it. And so I signed up for his Bible class just because I wanted to learn the Bible. And in his class, I learned all the reasons why the Bible cannot be true. You know, that the Gospels were written hundreds of years after Jesus lived, and so they're filled with myths and legend. The feeding of the five turned into the feeding of the 500. And eventually, when it was written down over 100 years later, he had fed 5,000. He was walking on water. He was doing all these kinds of legendary things. There's Greek in the book of Daniel. If Daniel is supposed to be written during the time of the Babylonian Empire, why is there Greek in there? The Greek Empire comes centuries later. This is legend. This is myth. Exodus never really happened. Crossing of the Red Sea? It's crossing of the Sea of Reeds. It's only two feet deep at low tide. Anyone can make that. There's nothing miraculous about that. And so we were learning all these things, and I'd go back to the church and I'd ask everyone, you know, look at this, look at this. How do we know this is true? And no one was able to give me any answers. I was about to walk away from the faith. I thought, you know, Christianity is the greatest story I've ever heard. 
But if it's not true, it's not for me. I don't want to be happy believing a lie. And so I sat down with a friend and I shared all my questions and he looked at me and he said, I got no answers for you. But here's a book that might help. And he gave me a book on Christian apologetics. I didn't even know what that was. About a 150 page book. And I read it. And for the first time I saw there is Christianity is a reasonable faith. It's uniquely a historical faith. There's compelling and powerful evidence for faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And I was just completely fascinated with that book. I read the book from cover to cover. First book I had ever read, 18 years old. Okay? I was almost illiterate. It was the first time I ever read a book from cover to cover. Okay? And after that, I went back to that guy and said, where'd you find this book? Where can I find more? He said, well, go to a Christian bookstore. I said, what's a Christian bookstore? He goes, well, okay, let me take you. All right, and there my love for apologetics and understanding the Christian worldview began, all right? But there are a lot of young people out there like me asking, what is true? How do I know your faith in Christ is true? Why should I take seriously the message of some guy living 2,000 years ago who supposedly claimed to be God and supposedly died and rose again from the dead. Why should I take that message any more serious uh, than any other religion or worldview out there? Here's a principle to remember. The heart will not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. Okay? For example, if I don't believe this is water is safe, okay? if mentally I'm not convinced it's safe, I'm not going to commit to drink this thing. All right? Now, Fortunately, it is. Same thing with your faith. The heart will not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. If you're not convinced your faith in Christ is true and worth living and dying for, when, it, when you come to meet those challenges on the university campus and in life, okay, that's really going to test the metal of your faith. And those days, I guarantee you, well, God's word guarantees you, they're coming and they're coming very soon. Okay? Life moves very quickly after you graduate from high school. Number two, the reason Christians must know why they believe is that you must present a compelling reasons and evidence to the unbelieving world. Peter says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia. All right, that's where apologetics comes from. To everyone who asks you the reason, the logos, for the hope that you have. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. Now the word apologetics, apologia, it's a legal term. Okay? It means to give a defense, a well-reasoned argument. Okay? This is a legal term used of a lawyer presenting his case before the jury. Christianity is not only an emotional faith, it's a rational, reasonable faith. There's powerful compelling evidence for our faith in Christ. And Peter says every Christian ought to know them and be able to present them to an unbelieving world that's going to come and ask you, why? Why do you believe? Why do you oppose my particular lifestyle? Why do you believe this is true and not what I'm teaching here? The reason for the hope that you have, reason, the logos, okay, means the well-reasoned argument means the rational presentation of the truth that you believe. So together, apologia, to give an answer,
to everyone who asks you the reason, when you put those together, Peter sees us as believers constantly being on trial every day as we live our life for Christ amongst an unbelieving world. When asked why Christians are called, we are commanded to provide compelling evidence and a well-reasoned argument for why we believe. We're rational beings. That's how God designed us. God is a rational God. He created an ordered and structured universe, and we're rational beings. Whenever you make decisions, you always look for the evidence and reasons. All right? And that's how you make your decisions. For example, if you're going to a hotel and you see two elevators, one is dark and there's no music, and you didn't see anyone going in or out. The one on the right, there's lights, there's music, and you thought you saw people going in and out. Which elevator are you going to pick? Well, the one on the right. Why? Well, you looked at the evidence, you processed it through your reasoning faculty, and you made a decision. Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. There's no evidence, and I'm going to believe it anyway. Biblical faith is taking a step of faith in the direction where the evidence leads. Does it still take faith to go in the elevator? Yeah, might not work. But I have good reasons to move in that direction rather than in the other direction. All right? That's what biblical faith is. And we use reason. We look at evidence every day before we buy a car, before we take medicine. For many of you, why did you pick the college you did? Well, and for some, that's the only one we got into. All right? But for others, why did you pick it? Well, it had the major I wanted. It had the activities I wanted, on and on. Okay? You look for evidence, you process it through your reasoning faculty, and you take a step of faith in that direction. If something is true, there should be evidence to support your case, and we should be able to answer the challenges of opposing worldviews and ideologies. Today, we live in a post-Christian culture. In our culture today, it views Christianity as an irrelevant religion of a bygone era made up of myths and legends. And not only is Christianity viewed as false today, it's viewed actually as dangerous. And we are now the bad guys on campus and in the culture today. Dr. Robert Coons, who I interviewed on my radio show, is a longtime professor of philosophy at the University of Texas. And he writes this about the atmosphere of the university campus today. He says, it's gotten increasingly hostile toward the Christian faith, especially in the classroom. When I was a student, the vast majority of teachers were not Christian, but a lot of people had the attitude that faith is a good thing and we're not going to attack it or knock it. But nowadays, the view among the faculty is that Christianity is not only misguided and false, but actually pernicious and evil and should be stamped out. Any student arriving at almost any college or university today will face that kind of attitude. Okay, whether spoken as Mark mentioned last night, or it's just an attitude you receive, you'll sense that hostility throughout the campus as you go and study. In our post-Christian culture then, it's not enough just to present the gospel and say, hey, please believe. We must often provide compelling reasons and evidence for why we should be taken seriously. And often when we do, Often when Christians are turned on to apologetics and they see that there's compelling evidence 
for faith and hope in Christ. There's a personal revival that comes about in their own personal life when they hear this stuff. There's a new confidence that grows in Christians where they have more confidence to share their faith with their friends and their colleagues. Here, a couple years ago, I was at Cornell University. There, those of you that are familiar with Cornell, anybody go there? In the Ivy League schools, this is called what? Suicide University, right? This is the highest suicide rate of all the Ivy League schools. And is it any wonder some of the strongest atheist proponents are there? Carl Sagan, there's a monument to him where he once lived. And I remember walking around this beautiful campus, being given the tour, and on every bridge there were these bars. Yeah, you been there? Like, you know, and I said, why do you have all, you know, finally I asked them, why do you have all these bars on these bridges? You just ruined the beauty of these great waterfalls and everything. And he said, well, we have the highest suicide rate. Students jump off this bridge every semester. I said, every year. He goes, every semester. He goes, our dean of students is horrified at how many times he's got to call parents hey, to tell them your son or daughter just committed suicide. So here on this campus, all the Ivy League schools were started as schools to train young pastors for the new frontier, except Cornell. Hey, Cornell is strictly a secular university. So on this campus there, there's really no chapel there. And here's the hall I was speaking in, the ecumenical hall here. And I was going to go into what's called the lion's den. I speak for 30 minutes, and then for the next 40 minutes, 45 minutes, students can ask me any question they want. So here I was in the ecumenical hall. The Muslims were outside praying against us. But we didn't know what kind of turnout we're going to have. And I didn't expect much. You know, I'm not Billy Graham or whoever. I'm just Aunt Zook, some dude from Hawaii. And that room was jam-packed just filled. We had to open up another auditorium for another over a hundred students to sit and just watch my video there. Most of them, as you can see, are Asian. Right? <laughs> yeah. so I was in there and I present 30 minutes of why I am a Christian, followed by 45 minutes of whatever question they wanted to ask. And when I was done, that wasn't it. Students were coming up after, constantly asking me questions. And there were other students coming up to me. One was from Africa. She said, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm from Africa. I've been here for four years. I never opened my mouth to share about my faith in Christ. I didn't know if my faith could stand up to the challenges here on the university campus. And she shook my hand. She said, thank you. Thank you. Now I know that my faith can stand and meet the challenges of the university campus here. Another student came up to me and said, hey, I'm from Hawaii. So he said, hey, you're right on. <laughs> He said, yeah, I've been here for one year, and I didn't know if I could believe in Christ anymore. I didn't know if it was worth it anymore. Now, for the first time I've heard, there is compelling reasons for my faith in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And student after student, Christians were coming up to me saying, I have a new confidence now in my faith in Christ and to be able to share on the university campus. Here in Uganda, I was there several years ago. This is Fort Portal. Fort Portal is a Muslim stronghold, all right? And when you enter the gates of the city, the first thing you see is this Muslim mosque. And I remember looking to the left up on a mountain, what I thought was a hotel. And I said, well, what hotel is that? And they said, that's the king of this village. That's his palace. And Uganda's one of the poorest countries in the world. And I said, how did he get a palace like that? And they said, well, he converted to Islam. And uh, they said, the Muslims come in here by force. 
and they're converting our pastors left and right. And they're saying, you know what? You convert to Islam. We serve the same God. We honor Jesus. So join Islam. We'll give you a house, a car, and a really good salary. And our pastors are leaving left and right. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of Pat's study entitled, Developing the Christian Mind. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on that donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.